Let's uh, commit our time of uh, studying God's word to him in prayer. We've just sung about praying. So what a friend we have in Jesus, so let's pray. As we come now to study your word, Heavenly Father, we remind ourselves that we need your Holy Spirit to make your word clear to us. We declare our need of your power to enable us to conform our wills to your will in both how we think and how we act. Please forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness so that we can hear your truth and respond with holy faith. Please help us to remember what we learn and also to pass on what we learn to others. Please encourage, rebuke and equip each of us for your service and for your glory. We pray in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. If I were to ask you what is your favourite passage or verse in the Bible on prayer, I wonder what you would answer. Maybe a better question to ask is, what is the best passage of prayer in the Bible? A number of years ago I started to write prayer, the word prayer or PR, in the margin of my Bible. So whenever I found some verse that referred to prayer, I would write PR or prayer, depending on how much room there was in the margin, and I found that almost every page in the Bible has something to say about prayer. It's quite remarkable. So that makes choosing the best or the favourite verse on prayer a little bit difficult. You might say, well, the best known prayer is the Lord's Prayer, which of course we just sung. That's a beautiful version of the Lord's Prayer, wasn't it? I was looking for the old one. That's about as old as me probably, or older. But that was beautiful. I hope we get to sing that again. Sometimes we call the Lord's Prayer the Disciples' Prayer because it's really the prayer Jesus gave to the disciples to teach them how to pray. So Jesus taught the disciples a lot about prayer. Even though he was God's son and equal with the Father, he still found the need to pray in every event or in every circumstance. What does that say about our lack of prayerfulness? Remember the Bible reading we started our service with this morning where Jesus commanded us, not to worry, no less than three times in that one passage. We could sum up that passage by saying, why worry when you can pray? You remember the old chorus? Why worry when you can pray? Trust Jesus, he'll be your stay. Don't bear doubting Thomas, rest fully on his promise. Why worry, 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 worry when you can pray? Anybody remember it? You probably don't remember the version I just sang <coughs> or the key I sang it in but it's a, a good chorus for us to remember, isn't it? Why worry when you can pray? The Apostle Paul also had uh, an obvious awareness of people's tendency to worry as he mentions it in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 to 7 that uh, Sue read to us just earlier. That's our text for today. And let me say, I think that's my favourite passage in the Bible on the subject of prayer. There are lots to choose from, but I think that's my favourite. So where are we going in a study? Well, I want to start off uh, by looking at the wider and then the immediate context of these verses, followed by explaining the meaning of the key words in verses 6 and 7 of Philippians 4. Then I want to highlight um, a few major other verses in the Bible as we finish at the end. So the wider context, the the city of Philippi was named after Philip II of Macedon who was the father of Alexander the Great, which most of you have probably heard of, he being very great, although 
less than perfect man. So this city had the name after a very famous family. Philippi was an important city. It was one of the leading cities in the Roman Empire and if you were a citizen of Philippi, you had full Roman citizenship from birth. Paul established a church there in his second missionary journey around 60-62 AD when he encountered a small group of devout Jewish ladies who were meeting down by the river for their Jewish worship. A reminder, of course, that we can worship God anywhere we choose, even during a pandemic. Lydia, the wealthy merchant who traded in the sale of a purple dyed material, came to faith in Christ through that encounter with the Apostle Paul and started a church in her own home. Christianity was not generally accepted by the local population, resulting in Paul and Silas being put in prison and placed in stocks. I'm sure you remember the story. Did they worry? No. They prayed and sang praises to God, resulting in an earthquake and their release and many people coming to faith in Christ. So we see that Paul's command not to worry or be anxious in the context that we have it in this passage is in the context of severe persecution which he faced and the other believers faced in Philippi. So surely we too can strive not to worry and to have faith in our much easier circumstances. The immediate context, well, verses, uh, verse 1, uh, Paul really starts off by exhorting the believers to stand firm in their faith, among other things. Verses 2 to 3, Paul then exhorts the two ladies in his fellowship, which he calls his co-workers, to settle a disagreement they had and instructs Timothy, the pastor, to help them to do that. So even in this wonderful church of Philippi, there were differences of opinion. Verses 4 to 5, that was verses 4 to 5. In uh, uh, verses 4 to 5, Paul commands the Philippians to rejoice in the Lord. He does so twice. And then says that they should demonstrate this attribute of gentleness to all. A good principle for us to follow in our present day. In verses 6 and 7, the verses we're looking at, he says we can pray about everything. I like that verse. We should stop worrying about anything and start rejoicing. Then we'll have, he says, the peace of God in our hearts. Verses 8 and 19, uh, verses 8 and 9, Paul then commands them to focus their thinking on good and positive things. So remember that, remember all that he's taught them so far and modelled to them and then he promises them if they do this, they think about these positive things, they'll have nothing really to worry about and will experience that peace that we've just spoken about. So the next time you find yourself worrying, turn to these verses in Philippians and think about those things listed there, particularly in verse 8, that you should be thinking about rather than worrying about the future that you can't really control. Well, let's look at these verses 6 and 7. Definition of key words. One of the best ways to understand a verse is to look at the key words found in it or key statements. The first words are, do not. That's a strong command. I say strong because in the Greek it's in the imperative tense, which means it's a a very strong uh, emphasis on obeying this command. It's an instruction, if you like, a prohibition, something to be avoided. Paul is warning them and us and you and me, something to beware of. Uh, We'd be wearing of us. Are we uh, watching out for this danger? Are you obeying this command? Are you avoiding this dangerous habit of worry? 
The next words are, be anxious. To be anxious is to worry, to fret, to be troubled, to be panicked, to fear. Does that sound like you? Sound like anybody here? (laughs) Yeah. Edward Welch uh, has written a good book. I actually uh, found this book while I was packing books up for overseas. I strongly recommend it if you happen to have a tendency to worry. It's called Running Scared, Edward Welch. I quote him a few times in the message. Very helpful book. I'm happy to lend it to you if you want to, if you think maybe you're a candidate that you might need it, then you're welcome to borrow it. But also have a summary. I was so impressed with the book that I highlight with a yellow texter when I read a book or underline with a pen. And I underlined, uh, highlighted all the statements he makes about worrying or anxiety. And it comes to, just a summary, it comes to several pages. I've brought one copy with me, just in case there's one person here who's a worry ward. It's a possibility. So, and I can do more if you ask. I'm happy to email it to you or to give you a physical copy. Edward Welch says this, fear, anxiety, worry and pessimism. Pessimism, that's interesting, that's part of being worried. They are all part of the same conglomerate. Fear and worry, of course, only envision the worst, never the good. Scripture assumes that we will be afraid and anxious at times. That's all of us. What is important is where we turn or to whom we turn when we are afraid. Let's face it. We're all troubled by this sin of worry, this lack of faith in God, this unbelief. But some of us more than others. Edward Welch goes on and says that he himself is a bit of a worrywart. He says, I'm a fear specialist. In this I have found that I'm not alone. Not anyone is a fear specialist, but there is no doubt that every single person who ever lived is personally familiar with fear and worry. It is an inaccessible, sorry, it is an inescapable fear of earthly life. Are you a worry wart? Are you a fear specialist? Where and when do we learn this habit of worry? Well, we can go right back to the Garden of Eden and Adam and Eve. They lost their perfect peace with God because they doubted him. They worried. It came from the fall. That's where worry comes from. And of course we inherited it from our parents. We learned it from earliest childhood, from earliest childhood. Notice the connection between fear and peace. When we came to faith in the Lord Jesus, we came to peace with God. We must stop denying that peace, stop listening to the fear and worry, stop believing the words and thoughts that Satan puts into our heart and mind, the, the doubts and fear that he, he likes to plant there. That takes a lot of effort. A lot of discipline, a lot of repentance to stop the habit of worry. Are you striving to reject worry? Or are you wallowing in it? Some of us do that, don't we? The King James Bible commentary says this, Stop being anxious and do not have the habit of worrying. In days of tension and trouble, in days of frustration and failure, instead of worrying, take it to the Lord in prayer. What a friend we have in Jesus. Have you developed the habit, the bad habit of worrying? When tension, trouble, frustration and failure come to you, do you take it to the Lord? What a friend we have in Jesus. Our next words are about anything. This includes everything. 
There are no exemptions. We worry about everything, don't we? But this is saying we should not worry about anything. It includes worrying about some event, real or imagined. Often we worry about things that never actually happen. Isn't that true? Worrying about a particular person or persons, being anxious about a physical or some spiritual situation, no matter what it is, we should not be anxious about it. We should talk to God about it instead of giving in to fear. Another quote, the Bible Knowledge Commentary says, Paul's appeal to the Philippians is to do not be anxious about anything. But this was not a call to be a carefree life, to a carefree life. To care and be genuinely concerned is one thing, to worry is another. Jesus warned against worry, which obviously eliminates trust in God. You realise that? Worry eliminates trust in God. Our next word, but. It means alternatively or on the contrary or instead. You don't have to worry. There is an alternative. Don't you just love the buts in the Bible? I do. Romans 5.8 is probably my favourite but in the Bible. But God demonstrates his own love to us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I am resisting the temptation to give you a long list of buts, wonderful buts in the Bible. Maybe an idea for another sermon someday. Our next word, everything. Just like the word anything we just looked at, everything means everything excludes nothing. It means without exceptions. So don't worry about everything, rather in everything, pray. Can Paul really mean everything? There is no situation, event or circumstance you cannot talk to God about. Don't worry about anything, but rather pray about everything. Do you confess your worry? but neglect to repent of it as a sin. Most of us confess that we're worrying or we're worrywart. Do you get the message? Do you forget to pray? Do you worry instead of praying? The JFB commentary says this, Thanksgiving for every event, prosperity and affliction alike. The Philippians might remember Paul's example at Philippi when in the innermost prison. Thanksgiving gives effect to prayer and frees from anxious carefulness by making all God's dealings matter for praise, not merely for resignation, much less murmuring. A good principle, isn't it? Prayerful thanksgiving can free us from fear and worry. Notice says thanksgiving in both prosperity and affliction. In the good times, yes, that's easy, although we still often forget but also in the bad and sad events of life as well. Paul is not advocating resignation or some kind of surrender to fatalism, no. He's advocating praise as an alternative to worry. If you're about to face another trial, praise the Lord. Notice the last word in the quote, murmuring or if you like complaining. You may be saying, I'm not worrying, I'm just complaining a lot. Your murmuring and complaining are just as sinful as your worrying. They're related, they're cousins. Complaining needs to be replaced with praising. Try it next time you're tempted to worry. The next word is prayer. Prayer is an expression of our submission to God's will. 
Prayer is the simplest form of talking to God, the God of the Bible. Prayer shall remind you that God is still on his throne. Prayer is having a conversation with God. Every time you begin to worry, you need to begin to pray, to give thanks, to praise, to focus on God and not what you're worrying about. Collective worship helps us to focus on God and forget our worries. It's one of the blessings of joining together like we are today. Prayer is to ask humbly that something be changed, allowed or removed. Prayer is an expression of our submission to God. The Life Application Study Bible says this, Imagine never worrying about anything. Takes a big imagination, doesn't it? It seems like an impossibility. We all have worries on the job, in our homes, at school. But Paul's advice is to turn our worries into prayers. Do you want to worry less? Then pray more. Whenever you start to worry, stop and pray. If you are worrying a lot, you're not praying and praising enough. Our next word, petition. A petition is a request, a supplication, a specific prayer. It can be verbalised, thought or written. You may be saying, but Ted, you don't realise how often I worry. Well, the more you worry, the more you should be praying. The Apostle Paul understood your problem because he commanded us to pray without ceasing. 1 Thessalonians says, Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, worry about everything. Oh no, that's not in there, is it? No, why? For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So if it's God's will, why are we worrying about it? We should be trusting. Are you turning your worry into praise? It's hard to both worry and praise and be thankful at the same time. Might even be impossible. Our next word, thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is so often the forgotten aspect of prayer. How often we rush into God's presence with our list of requests, forgetting to say thank you for his many, many blessings. Instead of giving thanks, we worry. Just like children, we forget to express thanks for the many gifts we are given. Giving thanks is simply saying thank you. Giving thanks is being thankful and the expression of gratitude. We need to have an attitude of gratitude. Whatever we're worrying about, there's nearly always something there you can thank God for. Remember to do that. Roger Elworth in his commentaries tells us this, Christians are not to be filled with anxiety and tossed with care. They are rather to bring their problems and needs to the Lord with the confidence that he cares for them and his care is sufficient. They are to do so with thanksgiving, remembering how very gracious God has been to them. An ungrateful child always seeks more from his parents without giving thanks to what he already has received. We are not to be ungrateful children. When we worry, we're being ungrateful children of God. Stop it. Are you ungrateful? Are you an ungrateful child of God? Next words, to God. Almighty God, the omnipotent God of the Lord Jesus and of the Bible, that's who it's talking about. Our view and our understanding of who God is will have a direct effect on whether we worry or pray. Is your God too small? Our next word, peace of God, or words. Peace means calmness, quite tranquility, contentment, freedom from conflict or war. This peace is the polar opposite 
of fear and anxiety. Believe it or not, peace is the way God intends it to be. Danger and reasons for worry are actually intrusions in our life. When we worry, it's like we are in conflict. We have a war in our hearts and in our minds. Peace is a cessation of that war. Freedom from disorder, conflict and strife. Peace is the assurance of God's love. When we worry, we are doubting God's love. The true peace of God is freedom from worry, doubt and fear. The Life Application Study Bible says, God's peace is different from the world's peace. True peace is not found in positive thinking, in the absence of conflict or good feelings. It comes from knowing that God is in control. Is your God in control? In control of your circumstances? Trusting that God is in control negates fear and worry. Are you choosing to trust or worry? Our next words are transcends all understanding. The Wycliffe Bible Commentary says, God's peace surpasses all our careful planning and clever ideas as to how we can resolve our own anxieties. It's a good quote, isn't it? Surpasses all our clever planning. Generally the planning is not necessary, the event doesn't even happen. The word transcend means transform, surpass, goes beyond comprehension or understanding. The peace of God goes beyond our reason or our logic our insight or our wisdom, even our intelligence. We find it hard to explain. It's indescribable. Indescribable is deeper than words can explain. We can be sad and confused and in pain but still have peace in our hearts. Are you confused and in pain? God has his special peace for you. Lindley Chamberlain knew this kind of peace when the testimony that she uh, gave that her dingo had taken her baby was not believed. She had peace even while she was in prison for a crime she did not commit. A great example to us. Elizabeth, Elizabeth Elliot knew this kind of peace when her husband and four other missionary workers were killed by hostile natives or simply trying to share the gospel. Gladys Staines experienced this kind of peace when her husband Graham and young sons Philip and Timothy were burnt to death in their car in India in 1999. I remember that well. I was in Myanmar at the time. I could go on on and on and list account after account of believers who did not give in to worry, fear, doubt and unforgiveness, but to exercise submission to God's incomprehensible will for their lives. It's not easy. It's hard. Are you going to join that list of people and keep and keep trusting instead of worrying and exercising unbelief. Our next word is the word guard. To guard means to protect, defend, secure, garrison, to make or keep safe from harm, like a sentry who keeps watch over people. It speaks of being vigilant, of being prepared for attack, being a protector. Submission to God's will protects us from worry, fear and doubt. This is a wonderful promise to take into our hearts and minds today and on into the future every time we are tempted to worry. Are you going to apply this promise? Next time you feel fear or worry rising in your hearts? Roger Elworth in his commentary says, Believers who carry their burdens to the Lord will find peace and rest in their spirits. 
This peace will stand at the door and guard the hearts and minds of believers so that anxious care and worry cannot enter. It's a good picture, isn't it? Is your heart and mind guarded by God's peace? I think of Christian soldiers testifying that even in the heat of battle with death and destruction all around, they felt the peace of God deep inside their hearts. Our next words are hearts. Our next word is hearts. The Oxford Dictionary says that the heart is the blood pump, the hollow organ keeping up circulation of blood by contracting and dilating. That's not very helpful, is it? (laughs) But it's an amazing organ. But in Bible thought, the heart is the control centre of our entire being. It includes our mind and thinking. It speaks of the real you, the centre of your emotions, thoughts and desires, your very soul and spirit. John MacArthur says in his uh, study Bible, fret and worry indicate a lack of trust in God's wisdom, sovereignty or power. Delighting in the Lord and meditating on his word are a great antidote, antidote to anxiety. All difficulties are within God's purposes. Are you delighting in the Lord? Are you meditating on his word? Are you taking your biblical heart medicine? Are you on medication? spiritually speaking. Our next word is minds. Your mind is that part of your brain that forms ideas and beliefs. It refers to the real you, the centre of your thoughts and desires. The Oxford Dictionary says that the mind is the seat of consciousness, thinking, volition or will if you like, that which thinks, feels and wills and uses perception, judgement and memory. The Bible's usage of heart and mind have almost the same meaning and they are often used interchangeably. They speak of similar things. Some of us major on feelings, the heart. Some of us major on thinking, analysing, logic, philosophy, facts-based evaluation. Some of us are a confusing mixture of both. Edward Welch in the book I recommended says this, when emotions are strong, they want to tell us what is true. Everyone has experienced that. It happens every day. But the fact that this experience is common should numb us, shouldn't rather, numb us to the fact that it is a pivotal spiritual battle. Who is in charge? God and what he says or me and how I feel? The words of God must override our feelings. There are times when we listen to our feelings. We must listen to our feelings. But there are times when we mustn't and we shouldn't. It's time when we don't, that we, uh, when we, it's, there is a time when we don't need to listen to our feelings, particularly when it's in contradiction to God's word. Whenever there is a clash between our sensory or feelings, our perceptions and the promises of God, the promises of God must win out, not our feelings. The point is we need to ban and reject worry, fear and doubt from our thinking and feelings and allow God's peace to transform them both as we submit to God's will and our circumstances. What's winning in your life? Feelings or the truth of God's word? Our next words are Christ Jesus. All this is made possible, this battling and winning over worry by the Lord Jesus. Did Jesus ever worry? No. Did Jesus have healthy fear? Yes. 
Did he get concerned? Yes. Did he ever doubt God's plans for his life? No. In the Garden of Gethsemane he expressed his horror of carrying our sin to the cross but he never worried. No, he submitted to God the Father's will. Our prayer should be his prayer. After praying about his feelings of what lay ahead, he submitted to God by praying, nevertheless not my will but thine be done. Are you willing to do the same? This source of supernatural peace, submission and contentment is only available to those who have submitted to Jesus as their Lord and Saviour. Have you ever submitted to Jesus? Submitted your life to him? I really don't know how unbelievers can cope with life with our faith in the Lord Jesus. I don't know how believers can cope with life, life's many challenges, by constantly giving in to worry. As a teenager, aged 14, I can remember I was so worried and concerned about my future, what lay ahead, that I seriously considered committing suicide. I couldn't cope, didn't want to cope with what might be ahead. But thankfully, I heard the gospel and submitted to the Lord Jesus and found that peace. When we worry, we cannot cope. We need to confess worry as sin, ask for forgiveness and turn away, that is repent from it and put our trust in God's sovereign plan for our lives. Are you coping? So how did these verses apply to me? I need to obey this command to pray about every situation I face in life. I need to remember to, conclude a, to include a time of thanksgiving, of thanking God for his many blessings in my times of prayer. I need to remember that praying is my responsibility, answering is God's responsibility. If I pray instead of worrying, God promises me this special peace. While I will not be able to completely understand this calmness, God's promise, God promises that it will have an effect on both my emotions and my ability to form correct ideas about life and truth. Praying like this will result in pre- preserving, guarding my faith and life. Five important cross-references on this subject of prayer. So I'll finish with these very quickly. 2 Chronicles 7, 14 and 15. Did someone think of that one as their favourite verse on prayer? If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. Ephesians 3, verses 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Ephesians 6, 18 through 25. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep praying for all the saints. Pray also for me that whenever I open on my mouth, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. James 5.13 Is any of you in trouble? He should pray. Is any happy? Let him sing songs of praise. And the last one, 1 Peter 5, verses 6-11 to Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God 
that he may exalt you in proper time, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be sober, be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen and establish you. To him be dominion for ever and ever. Amen. Are you casting all your anxiety on him? He cares for you. Let me lead you in prayer. We worship and adore you, Heavenly Father, for the wonder and the wisdom and practicality of your holy word. We confess that we give in to fear and worry and anxiety and doubt over and over again. We admit that we are more prone to grumbling than we are to praying when trials come to strengthen our faith. We thank you for your amazing patience and forgiveness that you pour out on us over and over again. We also thank you for the amazing peace that keeps us sane as we go through this troubled journey, through this life in this broken world. We praise you for controlling our day-to-day circumstances so that we grow stronger in our faith and are not overcome by our trials. Yet we so often stop trusting you and try and take control of our own life. Please forgive us for the many times we refuse to submit to your directions and purpose. For those of us who are worry warts and fear specialists, we ask for extra grace, power and forgiveness. Please help us to distinguish between healthy fear and unbelieving fear. Enable us, we pray, to praise instead of complain, to stop worrying and start praising. May each one of us pray, nevertheless not my will, but thine be done. We come to you in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen.